All right, you ready to get to work? Let's go. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to have you turn to two passages of Scripture. We're going to read Matthew 18 here in just a moment, uh, but Luke chapter 15 is another passage I want you to kind of keep your finger on because we will refer back to that. The parable that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus actually tells in two different situations. So we're going to look at both of those, which just means I'm preaching two sermons which just means I get double the time, right? I wish it worked that way. Let's look here at Matthew 18, beginning at verse 10. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 18 and verse 10. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege uh, to be able to learn from your word. We do ask that your spirit would come and teach us. Uh, God, I ask that supernatural things would happen in this service. Lives would be transformed, that, that hearts would be changed, that you would do your work for your glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Her name was Judy Bucknell. She was young, attractive, successful, and on a summer evening in Miami, Florida, she was homicide number 106. Judy was stabbed multiple times and strangled to death. And her story might have been buried along with her body had it not been for a journal that they found that detailed the struggles, the real struggles of Judy's life. Now, she struggled with common things like a lot of you in this room would struggle with, like getting old, getting fat, getting married, getting by. But what her journal showed was what she struggled with the most was being alone. Listen to one of the journal entries where she wrote, quote, where are the men with flowers and champagne and music? Where are the men who call and ask for a genuine date? Where are the men who would like to share more than my bed, my booze, and my food? I would like to have for once in my life the kind of sexual relationship that's a part of a loving relationship. But Judy never did. She wasn't a prostitute. She wasn't on drugs. In fact, just the opposite. She was very successful. She she was loved by her friends. She was very respected, had a respectable job. She she had hosted parties at her high-end apartment that overlooked the bay. Judy wasn't an outcast. She was just alone. 
In fact, in another one of her journal entries, she wrote, quote, I see people together and I am so jealous I want to throw up. What about me? What about me? Who is going to love Judy Bucknell? She was surrounded by people but living on an island. She had a lot of acquaintances but few friends. Many lovers. But she never found love. Oh, make no mistake, it was the wounds of a knife that killed her body. But it was the wounds of loneliness that killed her heart long before. I wish I could tell you that stories like this were uncommon. But they're not. People who look good on the outside, they have lots of friends, they seem happy, but inwardly they're lost and alone. I talk to them all the time. Christians who are struggling with despair, they are hurting, they are dealing with situations they feel like nobody else understands, a phone that never rings, a calendar that's always empty, children that won't speak to them, a marriage they don't think is ever going to happen, children that they can't foresee happening, learning to sleep next to an empty pillow for the first time in 50 years. And yet they worship in a crowded church and they drive on crowded streets and they shop in crowded stores. But deep inside, they are alone. And nobody knows. Now we were warned. Some of you were warned by the theologian Dr. Seuss. All alone whether you like it or not, alone is something you'll be quite a lot. So the question is, is there anybody who will love those who are alone? Anybody? Is there anybody who will love the Judy Bucknells? Is there hope for that person who I believe is in this service and they look really good on the outside but if they were honest, inwardly, they're lost. I have great news for you this morning. And that great news is the gospel. It's what Jesus teaches us in a parable that we call the lost sheep. And, and, and it, is, it is so full of great truth for those of us if we're willing to be honest in those moments of loneliness. Now, Jesus tells this parable on two different occasions, as I mentioned. One is in Matthew 18, the other is in Luke 15. And as we have done every single time when we've looked at a parable, we try to get the context so that we can understand the story. Let's do that first in Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which they seem to ask Jesus like 50,000 times. It's like every other page, the disciples keep saying, who's, who's the greatest? Who gets to sit in the best seat when we get to heaven? You don't get it. You don't get it, disciples. 
And so Jesus has to teach them once again that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the way God does things is radically different than the way the world does things, right? So he brings in a child, verse 2. Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, Disciples, you don't get it. Look at this child. This is what you need to be like. No, no, Jesus is not suggesting that children are humble in behavior. Yeah, exactly. You laugh because you know, like I know, that children are vipers in diapers. <laughs> All I have needed to prove the doctrine of total depravity is have children. We know this to be true. And they are precious little sinners, but they are sinners nonetheless. <laughs> Jesus is not saying, yeah, look at children. They're so innocent and humble in behavior. That's not what he's saying. In the ancient Near East, children had no status. They had no privilege. In that culture, it was parent-centered. In our culture, if you look at your calendar, often it's child-centered. That's another sermon for another day. But Jesus says, look at this child. He doesn't have any status. She doesn't have any privilege. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Namely, it's for those who have nothing to offer. That's the first context that Jesus is about to tell the parable of the lost sheep in. Let's look at the other in Luke 15. In Luke 15, look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors... They were basically thieves. And sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so follow me on this. If the question in Matthew 18 is, Who is the greatest in God's kingdom? This question would be like, Who belongs in God's kingdom? Jesus, you're receiving people who would not be in the who's who of Palestinian society. They are social outcasts, the poor. They are sexual outcasts, the prostitute. They are political outcasts, the tax collector. You shouldn't be hanging out with these people, Jesus. I mean, it'd be like if, if, if Jesus were living in our modern day, imagine him having a Thanksgiving dinner, and he invites Lady Gaga, Charlie Sheen, and Bernie Madoff, and has Thanksgiving dinner with them. We'd be like, what are you doing? You don't, have, you don't eat Thanksgiving dinner with that group? And Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees the same thing he's trying to teach the disciples, namely that the kingdom of God is for people who have nothing to offer. They don't have a religious resume. What they have is spiritual bankruptcy. And that's the admission fee to the kingdom of God. Namely, nothing that you bring. It is free. It is for those that realize they need it because they realize they have nothing. 
So, you following me? The parable of the lost sheep in both settings comes out of, in one, who is the greatest? Answer, those that have nothing to offer like a child. Second setting, well, who even belongs in the kingdom? Those who have nothing to offer like the outcast. And from that, Jesus tells a story that's pretty commonly known. It's about a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders away, and the shepherd goes after that one to find it. Now, that's the story. Let's break it down. Look back in Matthew 18 and verse 12, and let's look at the parable. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Now, let's stop right there and deal for a moment just with the lost sheep. Now, when you think of sheep, you may have in your mind like cute, little fluffy, sweet little animals. You know, like this is what comes to mind. It's like, oh, they're so sweet. No, that is not the image in the ancient Near East of sheep anyways. In fact, there are four things you need to know about sheep. And the first you're probably familiar with, and that is that they're dumb. They are not the smartest animal in the flock. Have you ever seen one fetch? You haven't. You just throw the stick and they're like, bah, you know, that's it. And they constantly keep getting lost. They're always going astray. They do it over and over and over again. Now, in their mind, they think they're smart. They think they know where they're going. They think they know better than the shepherd to go down this path. But that just means they're blinded by their own stupidity. Because it never goes well. So number one is they're dumb. Number two is that they, they, don't, they lack discernment. And here's what I mean by they lack discernment. The reason that they're dumb enough to leave the flock is because they're driven by their appetites. This is the deep, deep, deep thought process of a sheep. Look at that patch of grass. That looks delicious. And they go. They don't think about how dangerous it could be to get there. They don't think about what could be lurking for them around the corner. They, they're led by their appetites. And we also know they don't have discernment because they do it over and over again. It's not like a sheep ever says, you know, last time I left, that didn't turn out so well. This time I think I'll stay. I mean, every opportunity they have, they're trying to find a way to go astray. Here's the third thing about sheep is that they're defenseless. By this, I mean they're an easy meal. They don't put up a fight, okay? It's why if you've ever seen an episode on Animal Planet that involves a sheep, it didn't go well for the sheep. <laughs> it's why you've never seen a sports team with a mascot, the fighting sheep right? I mean, imagine if Barry the sheep, you know, the uh, Minnesota State Fair mascot. Imagine if that's your team's mascot. That's real intimidating. You know, it's the fighting bulldogs against the sheep. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost as intimidating as, I don't know, say a gopher. <laughs> oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, Oh, I, I, can, I can just hear the hate mail coming in my inbox right now. Hey, love the gophers. I'm just saying it's a sissy mascot. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. 
Now, lions and tigers and bears, but sheep, bah. that's it. Never, never heard of anybody arrested for underground sheep fighting. You, they are so non-threatening, you tell your children to count them in order to go to sleep. No one's ever done that with wolves, right? They, like, they don't growl, they don't hiss, they don't have claws. They cannot fight for themselves. They're defenseless. And here's the last thing we know about sheep is, and it's because of the other three that they're dumb. They don't have any discernment. They're led by their appetites and they're defenseless. They're an easy meal is they're always in danger. They're always in danger. They need 24-7 protection from the shepherd or they're dead. Now, it's great news. You're going to be so glad you came to church. It's worth the price of admission. Guess what the Bible compares us to? <laughs> Let me just read it. Isaiah 53, all we like, say it with me, sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, we've laughed a lot, and you, we love to do that here at Berean, but could, let's have a serious moment to say, how many of you would be honest and say, when you look at your life, you've made some pretty big messes before? You've gone your own way at times. You've wandered from God. You've been led by your appetites for sex and relationships and money. And it took you down a path you never wanted to go to a place you never wanted to be. And you've been in and out of church and in and out of relationships. And your spiritual life has been up one moment and down the next. And you're always searching for that piece of a patch of grass that will fulfill you. But it never does. All the while you keep telling yourself, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Because you're blinded by your own spiritual stupidity. And let me just be the first to raise my hand. I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. And now what the culture would say is, don't go back to that church. They tell you you're sheep. First of all, I didn't. The Bible did. But secondly, that's the greatest news you'll hear all day. And here's why. What do you do with people like that? What do you do with sheep that go astray. And I'm not talking about the animal, I'm talking about the people. What do you do with those who keep falling on their face? They're lost and alone. They're just like this lost sheep in the parable. I'll tell you what the Pharisees would say. Come in here, come in here. The Pharisees would say, what you do with lost sheep is you say, you'll never be in the kingdom of God You're just a prostitute. You're just a tax collector. You're just a sinner. You made your bed, lie in it. In fact, Luke's account, Luke 15, just a parable or two after this parable, is the parable of the prodigal son. 
What did the younger son who went away deserve according to the older son? Justice doesn't deserve a party. You don't throw a feast for a sinner like that. That's what the Pharisees would say. Here's what the disciples would say of what you do to lost sheep, those that go astray. They would say, you might get in the kingdom, but you sure won't be the greatest. That's reserved for the 99 who never went astray. And now Jesus is about to shatter their illusion. Notice the next part of verse 12, Matthew 18. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, so now we understand more about sheep, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one who went astray? Hear me, Brian, this shepherd doesn't cut his losses. This shepherd doesn't say, well, at least I've got 99. He doesn't say, you stupid sheep. Why can't you be well-behaved like these 99 that didn't go off? No, 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 no. And this is the greatest news in the world. This shepherd goes after the one, and he does whatever it takes to find the one and bring it home and throws a party for that one sheep that was lost but now is found. And the question is, why? That's the question we ought to be asking because, listen, we live in a culture where we don't give a hoot about 1%. You ask any politician, would you take 99% of the vote? They'll say yes every day. You ask the the student in school, say, high school, would, would you take out of 100 questions getting 99 right? If they say no, they're a nerd, all right? Of course you take 99%. If you're on a sports team and you said out of 100 games, you're going to win 99, you'd take that every single day. We don't care about 1%. We'd be totally content with the 99. So why in the world does this shepherd leave 99 for one? And I'm going to illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever lost something? Okay, just show of hands, quick survey. How many of you have ever lost? Oh, I didn't even ask the question. Look, why well, you're, you're ahead of me. How many of you have ever lost uh, a purse or a wallet? Okay, how many of you have ever lost like a pet? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have ever lost your mind? Exactly. Okay, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, I do hope you find that later, all right? Well, we've all lost things. Have you ever noticed that you search differently? based on what you've lost. So think about it this way. If you've ever lost a penny, did you even look for it? I mean, you're really cheap if you did, you know. You, you have like a hundred of these in your couch. And you don't find them like months later when your company's coming over and you clean it out. You don't search for a penny. But now how many of you have ever lost, say, for instance, your car keys? I mean, you've, how many of you, honest, you've experienced that morning you're running late for work or you're running late for an appointment and you can't find your keys? And some of you are like, oh, every day? <laughs> there's a little bit more of a panic here because there, there's a value in needing to get somewhere or, or there's an urgency, not a, maybe a full-blown panic, but, but it, it, it gets you going. Or what about if you lost, say, a cell phone? Some of you are like, my life would be over. <laughs> I couldn't survive. I mean, we... 
we do our business through this. We have all our contacts. We do email. The phone itself is expensive to replace. So if you've ever lost a cell phone, you know that sense of urgency probably greater than your car keys. Or what if you've ever lost like a wad of money, like a few hundred dollars or a credit card on vacation, and you've had that feeling of <gasps> like, oh my gosh, like this is serious. We've got to call and cancel. We've, you know, you have that, that sense of, of, of anxiety and panic because the value is even greater. How many of you have ever like misplaced a kid? Yeah. If you've never misplaced a kid, there's only one reason you don't have one. It's as simple as that. One day when we were playing in the backyard, this has been several, a few years ago, uh, our son, our oldest, Caleb, just disappeared. We thought like the four-year-old rapture happened or something. I mean, he was just gone. We couldn't find him. We searched all through the home and still couldn't find him. I, you know, parents like that, that feeling that sets in like, oh my goodness, where is my child? We could not find him anywhere. We looked all in the neighbor's yard. He's nowhere to be found. Walk into the garage and the garage door is open and his little electronic four-wheeler is gone. So in like a, a fit of panic, I jump in my car, I drive down the street. Sure enough, about a quarter of a mile down the neighborhood is my four-year-old just cruising in his <laughs> four-wheeler, like checking out the three-year-olds or something. I don't know, you know, but it's like you, you find him, you're like, oh, finally. You know, that, that, that sense of panic that, that's, that's far greater than a penny. It's far greater than keys. It's far greater than money. Why? Because your willingness to search is based on the value of what you've lost. You search with intensity when something that's really important to you is gone. To the disciples, it's just a child. To the Pharisees, it's just a prostitute. To the world, you're nothing but a dumb, lost sheep. But I'm telling you, that's precisely the kind of people that Jesus left the glories of heaven to come and seek and save because the kingdom of God is about a God who receives little ones and eats with sinners and rescues lost sheep. That's the kind of shepherd he is. He is driven by love because the one is as valuable to him as the 99. In fact, the text says he rejoices even more in the one than the 99 who are the goodwill sheep. And notice in Luke's account of this, verse 4 of chapter 15, what if a man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost. And notice this phrase that is different in Luke. Until he finds it. He doesn't give up after a few hours. Oh no, you never let go. He doesn't care how dangerous he doesn't care how long. He doesn't care what the cost will be. He is on a mission to save and to rescue. He will go as far as he has to go in order to find that one that is lost, to place that one on his shoulders, and to carry that one home. And when he does, it's party time. What a loving shepherd 
Amen? That's a pretty awesome story. What in the world does it mean for us? A few quick applications, and please draw in here to hear this. What do we learn from this parable? Let me give you just a couple of things. The first is this. Please hear this. Be aware of your wandering heart. You and I are in daily need of rescue from sin. You're not as smart as you think you are. It's funny, that never gets an amen. (laughs) You're not as smart as you think you are. The enemy is stronger than you think he is. And that patch of grass you're chasing because you think that that'll make life better might just lead you to your destruction. That's why, if you'll remember what we learned in the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray daily? Lead us not into temptation. Why? Because if for a moment we are not under protection, the protection of a loving Father, we are as good as dead. It is a war zone, the spiritual life. And so what my call to you is, don't see yourself in the ninety-nine. I'm a good little sheep. I don't ever leave the shepherd. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I've never done anything all that bad. If you don't see yourself as the one who is tempted every day to wander away, you will never know the depths of God's redeeming grace. Let me put it this way. Until you realize how lost either you are or you could be, you will never know the joy of being found. Amen? Amen. Be aware of a heart prone to wonder. Here's the second thing is, be reminded of the heart of ministry. Now follow me, Bree, and let me just take a moment and, and speak directly to our faith family. Jesus here is teaching the disciples, namely his followers, God's heart for ministry because the disciples keep turning this, this will preach, this will preach. The disciples keep turning this thing into about them. Who's the greatest? Don't you understand? I haven't called you to be the greatest. I've called you to serve the least. The church in America needs a wake-up call that the church isn't about them. It is about the glory of Jesus and those lost sheep out there. The disciples are concerned about who's in. Jesus says, I'm concerned about who's out. And that'll preach because heaven rejoices not when religious people keep the rules. Heaven rejoices when sinners find grace. And that's what motivates us as a faith family. Amen? All right. It better. Here's the third thing. Be reminded of the essence of the gospel. Now you're like, Pastor, you always talk about this, yeah? And Lord willing, three months from now, I'll still be talking about this. And three years from now, I'll still be talking about this. Why? Because religion makes me puke. 
almost literally. The sheep got rescued not because he got smarter and found his way home, not because he got stronger and fought his way home, but because a loving shepherd sought him, found him, put him on his shoulders, and carried him home. Here's why I hate religion. Religion says, find your way home, lost sheep. The gospel says Jesus is here to carry you home. All the work of finding the sheep was the shepherd's. So all glory goes to the shepherd. I mean, the the sheep just stood there lost, alone, and afraid, going, bah. It was the shepherd that came by grace, by love, and rescued that lost sheep. Good works are the outworking of genuine salvation. They are not what brings salvation. That is all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are sheep, not dogs. Which means we need a Savior, not a trainer. That's the gospel. And that's good news. Here's the last one. And this may be the biggest one for us this morning, and it's this. I want you to be amazed. If you've checked out, check back in for just a moment. I want you to be amazed at the outrageous love of God. If you're in here and you have layers of sin in your life, or if you're here, churchy person, and you have layers of familiarity in your life, What I want to drill through all of those layers is this one simple, amazing fact, and that is God has a personal love for you. Not your spouse. Not your children. I'm talking you. And stop intellectualizing that, parsing that, and having a bunch of Bible studies on that, and this morning experience that. You, you, no, 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 you don't, you don't have any idea what I've done. If you knew my past, if you knew how far I've wandered, if you knew the things I've done, if you knew how lost and alone I feel, there's no way you could say that about me. What gives you the right, pastor? to sit here and say that God has a personal love for me. I'll tell you how I know. His name is Jesus Christ. He was young, not very attractive, not very successful in the eyes of the world, and on a Friday afternoon just outside of Jerusalem was homicide number three. He was stabbed multiple times and left for dead. And his story might have been buried with his body had there not been a record of the final struggles he faced in the last moment. Let me read you an entry. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. 
forsaken, abandoned. So you say, how do you know that he loves me? How do you know he loves lost sheep? I'll tell you how I know he became one. The great shepherd became the lost sheep. So that this morning, I don't care how far you've gone astray. I don't care how bad your past is, or present for that matter. I don't care how lost and alone you feel this morning. I'm telling you, Jesus is ready to take you, place you on his shoulders, and carry you home. Let's pray. I am convinced that there are people in this room like Judy Bucknell. They wonder who is going to love me. Deep inside, there are secrets nobody knows about. There's a story nobody's heard. Because right there in a marriage, in a family, at a job, in a crowded church, there's a heart that's alone. God, thank you for the gospel. The greatest news in the world that we can know a shepherd who so loves us, he'll do whatever it takes to rescue us. From the loneliness, from the brokenness, from a world so easy to look over the 1%, oh God, the depths of your love. May we know it. May we know it right now. In Jesus' name, amen.